If you haven't heard uh, yet, we are here at First Free uh, setting aside this week, um, starting with today, as a week of prayer for us here at uh, First Free. Each day this week, let you know where you can where you can join in with this. Each day this week, we'll be posting on our Facebook page specific prayer requests for specific areas of ministry here at the church. Um, and we believe that, um, that everything we do here, everything we do here at First Free um, needs to be saturated with prayer. Prayer soaking all the way through all of our different ministries because we want a spiritual impact to take place. And if a spiritual impact is going to take place, the only way that's going to happen is if we pray uh, for those things. So we will invite you, we want to invite you this week to join us in this week of prayer. Go to Facebook, you can find those prayer requests and pray each day. We invite you to set aside some time each day just to pray for what God's going to do and wants to do through us as his church here in the year of 2021. Um, also, I want you to let you know this Wednesday evening, um, I want to invite you to join us for an all church uh, prayer meeting on Zoom. Um, and if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, we would love to have you join us. Uh, the Zoom invite was sent out on my weekly Friday emails, or if you haven't got that, um, you can call the church office and they will give you that Zoom invite. But we would love to have you join us from 7 to 8 for an all-church um, prayer meeting as we come together this Wednesday night and pray for what God wants to do in and through our church family. Let's pray. Dear Father, indeed, we believe in you, God the Father, creator, sovereign God of this universe. Believe in Jesus Christ, your, your only son. We believe in the Holy Spirit. We also believe in prayer. So we come to you this morning, we come to you this week and ask you to move in our midst might you powerfully show up in unexpected ways, saving souls, changing lives, opening eyes. God, might you move in and through us here at First Free. We also pray this week for our nation. As our new president is sworn in this week, we pray for peace in our nation's capital and around our, our country. Might we as your church, <laughs> might we show the way, the way towards love and, and unity despite the diversity of opinions. Might we glorify you and how we as followers of yours respond to each other and respond to others around us. Lord, we also believe in the forgiveness of sins. We thank you, Father, for your gracious gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And we come this morning and we, we worship you. We, we want to declare your worth. We, we want to, once again, say, God, we treasure you. We ask now that you would make me a servant of your word this morning. And make each of us servants of the cause of Christ and of one another. Give us 
each one of us, the heart of Jesus. We pray these things in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, said, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive, as we had during the war, he says. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. <laughs> you experience that? A challenge of forgiveness? As we come to our next story in Luke chapter 7, this subject of forgiveness, what happens is it steps into the very center of the stage. So I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 7. Our story begins in verse 36. Luke 7, starting in verse 36. Now, as we look at this story, um, there are a couple of different perspectives that we can, can take. Kind of reminds me of the Texan who, uh, when he went to Colorado, he complained that the mountains blocked his view. And the Coloradoan, when he traveled to Texas, complained that everything was so flat, there's nothing to see. <laughs> Perspective uh, makes a difference, right? And this morning, I want us to look at this story from two different perspectives because I think when we look at those two stories from two different angles, then what will happen is we'll learn two different lessons. Two different lessons. Now, before we, we look at those perspectives, let's look at the scene first. There's an invitation uh, from Simon the Pharisee in this story to Jesus to come over and have dinner. Now, we're not really sure what Simon's motive is um, because we've already seen a number of times in Luke's gospel, you know, as we've been walking through it, we've seen a number of times where there's conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. So we're not sure what, what uh, Simon's motive is, but whatever the reason, as they're reclining at the table... Um, suddenly there's this unexpected intrusion that takes place. A, a promiscuous woman breaks into this dinner party. <laughs> now, you have to remember, in those days, uh, affluent people often had large dining areas in their courtyards of their homes. And on special occasions, such when a, uh, a visiting rabbi or a distinguished uh, guest was invited over for a meal, they would open... Um, uh, the door, the door be left open so that um, interested people, uh, uninvited townspeople could uh, wander in. They could slip in and slip out. They could sit around the edges and listen in to this conversation that would be taking place. But nobody, <laughs> absolutely nobody expected someone like this would show up. Now, we don't know much about this woman. Luke doesn't really tell us. The one thing he does tell us is that she was a woman of the town. She was a sinner, he says. Uh, we're not exactly sure what the sin was. Uh, Luke doesn't tell us. Perhaps, and most uh, biblical experts believe that she was probably a, a prostitute or at least a well-known adulteress. Whatever her sin was, her reputation precedes her. And to everybody's amazement, this well-known sinner crashes this dinner party. She comes out of the audience, stands at the feet of Jesus, takes this alabaster jar of perfume, 
uh, around, from around her neck, which women wore um, as an ornament, and she breaks it and pours it all over Jesus' feet. Apparently, then, she's so overcome by this action, so overcome by the moment that she bursts then into tears. And her tears begin to fall, and they get all over, mixed up with the dust and dirt all over Jesus' feet. So terribly embarrassed about all this, she kneels down, she begins to wipe the tears and the perfume off of Jesus' feet with her hair. And then she falls down in an, abject, in an act of abject submission and gratitude, and she begins to anoint the feet of Jesus with her kisses. Now that's the scene. And what makes the scene so captivating is that if you read it, you, you have to understand, no one is saying a word. No one has said a word while all of this stuff is going on. <laughs> the only response we get is from Simon, who says to himself in verse 39, he says this, Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Simon's response, you notice here, it's not really directed at the woman, right? His response really is directed at Jesus. His response is one of cynicism and skepticism. And I think we get a view, a picture into Simon's view of Jesus. I mean, it's quite low. <laughs> For Simon, Jesus isn't anything special. I mean, he's certainly no prophet. And the fact that Jesus is letting this woman touch him at all, that, that's all the proof that he needs. Jesus, of course, is famous for his stories, right? So now he breaks in uh, to make a point. He breaks into one of his stories to make a point. Look with me at verse 41. Look at the story. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Now, let me uh, make sure we understand what's going on here in this, in this story. Um, you probably haven't found uh, many denarii in your paychecks uh, recently, uh, so let's put it in terms that will help each one of us. Uh, um, a denarii was the wage for a day's work for a laboring man in that day and age. Um, and given that they typically work six days a week, that would mean that the typical worker would, worker would earn about uh, 300 denarii a year. 300 denarii a year. Catch that? So 500 denarii, think about this, is about 20 months of labor. So the one guy owes almost two years worth of wages to this money lender, and the other guy owes just two months of labor, two months debt. One guy has this huge debt that he owes, and the other not so much. But neither one of them can repay their debts. And so then for both of them, the moneylender, he cancels their debts. Their debts then are forgiven. So Jesus tells this story, right? And then he applies it. He says, Simon, which one of these two people would be the most grateful and would express their loving gratitude to the moneylender the most? 
Which one? <laughs> and Simon, rather reluctantly, because, you know, I, I think at this point he realizes that he's trapped, right? He only really has one option. Um, he says, well, I, I guess it's the one who was forgiven the most that would love the most. And Jesus says, you're absolutely right, Simon, absolutely right. And then Jesus makes his point. And here, I think, is our first perspective that I want us to see. Because here's the most basic and straightforward way of reading this story. Jesus, what he does is he contrasts Simon's response towards him with the woman's response towards him. Look with me, starting in verse 44. And I want you to note the pattern that Jesus uses here in this paragraph. Note that he says, you did not, Simon, but she, you know. Now notice this pattern, verse 44. Then turning to the woman... He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she, was, she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. See the contrast? <laughs> Three times Jesus uses that pattern. In verse 44, he says it in verse 45, and he does it again in verse 46. And he's doing it to draw a distinct difference in the way that Simon treated Jesus in comparison to the way the woman treated Jesus. Jesus says basically, Simon, when I arrived here today at your invitation for dinner, I was rather surprised not to be greeted by you by the customary kiss on the cheek. Not only that, no servant came to the door with a bowl of water and a towel for me to wash my feet. Not only that, but it was rather unusual that you, you didn't bring the uh, customary oil for me to anoint my head. In other words, Simon, as they would say today in the United States, you didn't come to the door. You didn't shake my hand. You didn't show me where I could hang up my coat. You didn't welcome me. In fact, you weren't anywhere to be seen. But Simon, in marked contrast to your response to me, although you didn't give me a bowl of water to wash my feet, this woman, this woman, she has been washing my feet with her tears. Although you gave me no ointment to anoint my head, listen, she poured perfume on my feet. And although you didn't welcome me with a kiss, she is been kissing my feet nonstop. Simon, do you get the point? This woman made an exaggerated, expressive uh, exhibition of love. But I didn't see anything from you, Simon. Yet you criticize her? <laughs> Simon, has it ever dawned on you that those who really understand the wonders of forgiveness are the ones who demonstrate loving gratitude? Simon, I, I wonder, could it be that the reason that you are expressing so little love for me is that you have such little understanding of your need of forgiveness and the forgiveness that I have to offer you? <laughs> and then Jesus turns to this uh, woman and he says, woman, I want you to know, I want you to know something. Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go. In peace. Now, let's stop here for a moment 
Because I want to ask you a question. When was it, do you think, that this woman was saved? When was it? I mean, Jesus says right here, right? At the very end, verse 50, he says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So when was it that she was saved? It, was, it certainly wasn't the act of, of uh, pouring out her perfume on Jesus' feet and, and bathing his feet with her tears and then drying his feet with her hair that saved her. I mean, it was her faith, right, that saved her. She wasn't forgiven for her kind acts to Jesus. No, she was given because, forgiven because of her faith. So then let me ask you, where do you see her faith? Well, her faith was demonstrated in her great love. See, I want to suggest to you that prior to this story here, prior to this incident, maybe in one of those other scenes that Luke um, has told us about earlier in his gospel, Maybe one of those scenes where the crowds gathered around Jesus, you know, as he's healing and as he is teaching. This woman hears Jesus share the good news of the gospel. And as she stands in the background, in the shadows, not wanting to be seen by anyone, as she listens to Jesus share the good news of the gospel, her heart cries out and she discovers the joy of cleansing and forgiveness. And so when she comes to see Jesus at this dinner party, she's already a fledgling Christian. And so what we're watching take place here in this scene is an expression of what Jesus has come to mean to her. Because surely it was love alone that allowed her to come to the home of this Pharisee. Love alone that allowed her to face all of those stares and glares and murmurings that had to accompany her as she steps off the sideline uh, side and, and into the limelight in that dinner party. She has experienced the gracious forgiveness of God and she is moved then to express her great love for Jesus. So here I think is the first and I think major lesson of this story. And that is simply this. God, a great forgiveness provides an opportunity for great love towards God. Great forgiveness provides an opportunity for great love. Now, my guess is that if Simon were sitting here, you know, like, like you are, he probably would be nodding his head in full agreement with that statement. I mean, see, Simon's problem, it wasn't that he didn't agree with that truth. His problem was he didn't grasp that that truth was for him. <laughs> I mean, he missed it. He failed to comprehend that he, like this, like this woman, was a great sinner and therefore great forgiveness was required for him as well. You see, Simon's philosophy was, my guess is pretty similar to Sophia Loren's philosophy, who once said, I'm not a practicant, but I pray. I read the Bible. It's the most beautiful book ever written. I should go to heaven. Otherwise, it's not nice. I haven't done anything wrong. My conscience is clear. My soul is as white as those orchids over there. I should go straight, straight to heaven. <laughs> like Sophia Loren, I think Simon, he didn't grasp that even if he was highly respectable, even if he was 
considered good and, and, and moral from the world's perspective, he was still a sinner. Now, granted, there are some people who have made an incredible mess of their lives, like this prostitute. But that doesn't mean that those who haven't, like Simon, are guiltless. <laughs> See, inside all of us is sin. And like the Pharisee, like the prostitute, all of us are sinners. Now, I've had people say to me, um, Sutton, you know the reason that I never go to church? It's because the church is cold and correct, respectable and dead. <laughs> and my response has oftentimes been, well, you know what? Oftentimes you're right. And I'll tell you why. Oftentimes in the church, there are people like you who don't understand your sin and have no perception of forgiveness. Listen, if I don't understand the immensity of my sin, respectable as I am, religious as I have been, if I don't understand my capacity for independence, if I don't understand my capacity for disobedience, I don't understand myself. If I don't understand my sin, there's no way I can understand the incredible grace of God and his forgiveness. If I don't understand that, how will I ever be grateful? <laughs> I'll simply be cold and correct, respectable but dead, adhering to a religious system without an expressive love of Jesus Christ for all he's done for me. See, great forgiveness invites us to respond with great love, friends. Joe Briscoe told a story about an African man who had a dream. In his dream, he, he saw a man uh, walking up a hill, and, and he soon recognized that that man in his dream, that was him. The hill was Calvary, and, the, and there were three crosses at the top of that hill, and then he noticed that Jesus was walking behind him. But Jesus was having a hard time getting up that hill. He was struggling to, to, to walk up that hill. He was almost crawling because he had this great, huge, big burden on his back. So in this dream, this man, he, he went to help Jesus, saying, Lord, are you carrying the sins of the whole world to Calvary? And the Lord replied, oh, no. I'm just carrying yours, just yours just yours, just mine. <laughs> See, I'm not sure Simon ever caught that lesson. How about you? Now, before we leave this story, um, there's a second perspective I, I want us to see. And like the first, it is a contrast. But this time, it's a contrast between the Pharisee and Jesus, and how they respond to the woman. Now let's go back to the story. Uh, Jesus is a dinner guest of Simon the Pharisee. And anyone who's interested is there to watch. And then this sinful woman, this prostitute, <laughs> shows up. Now remember, this was a religious gathering. A woman with this known track record was not welcome at such an event like this. Her provocative dress, no doubt, was entirely inappropriate for the occasion, and the sensuality of her behavior was, 
was downright scandalous, letting her tears fall on Jesus' feet. I mean, it's extremely intimate. Then she wiped them with her loosened hair. Listen, the only time in that day and age a decent woman would loosen her hair like that would be in privacy of her own bedchambers with her husband. And next she emptied her perfume onto Jesus' feet as the fragrance of it filled the room as she massaged it into his skin. Uh, my guess is at that point, there was no one around that table that was saying, hey, could you pass me the potatoes? <laughs> no, they were not eating. They, they weren't speaking. What they were doing was they were just watching Jesus and they're watching this, this woman. They were shocked and offended by what was taking place. In the midst of all of this, then Jesus asks, I think, what strikes me is a very funny question. Do you notice this? He says, Simon... Do you see this woman? <laughs> what a silly question. Of course Simon saw that woman. He hadn't taken her eyes off of her since the moment she had walked into the room. Simon had seen all of, uh, all of it, right? I mean, she, she, he had seen, seen all of her sin. He, he was repulsed by her. She is a sinner, dirty, scandalous, offensive. She is beyond God's reach and beyond his concern. And in contrast, catch this, in contrast, notice Jesus' response to her. Better yet, notice what he didn't do. Jesus doesn't pull away in embarrassment to save his reputation. He didn't rebuke her for the life that she had been living. He didn't correct her awkward expression of worship. <laughs> I mean, that was what the Pharisees in that room expected a prophet to do, but Jesus didn't respond in the expected fashion. Instead, he graciously received her extravagant gift and unorthodox display of affection. He rose to her defense when those around the table wanted to pass judgment on her. He dignified her behavior by describing it as a worship of the highest order. And then he pronounced her forgiven. That's mercy. That's mercy. See, mercy looks beyond a person's faults and sees their need. Mercy doesn't ignore sin. It doesn't excuse it. It doesn't sweep sin under the rug or uh, pretend it doesn't matter. I mean, you notice two times in the story, this woman is identified as a sinner, and Jesus himself acknowledges that her sins are many. But mercy chooses to respond to the need instead of reacting to the sin. When Jesus saw this woman, he saw the woundedness and the desperation that led her to such a life. He saw the abuse and the exploitation she had suffered at the hands of men. He, he saw the guilt and, and the shame that kept her trapped in this destructive lifestyle. She looked, he, Jesus looked beyond this woman's sin and he saw her need. Think of it this way. If you found a Rembrandt covered with mud, caked with dried mud, would you focus on the Rembrandt or would you focus on the mud? Hopefully you'd focus on the painting because <laughs> you'd recognize that's a masterpiece, something of great worth. Now, e eventually, yes, you'd have to do something about the mud. You'd have to find an expert um, that would have to clean it up for you without damaging the painting. 
But your initial response, right, your heart's response would be an enthusiasm for the Rembrandt. When that sinful woman walks into that room, Jesus saw a masterpiece, but all Simon saw was mud. Jesus saw a woman creating God's image for eternal glory. All Simon saw was her inappropriate dress and her embarrassing behavior. Jesus saw her potential as a human being. All Simon saw was her sinful past. We find it so easy as we read this story to condemn Simon's reaction, don't we? How could he be so cold and hard-hearted like that? But listen, I, I gotta believe that the sad truth is that that kind of thing happens all the time in the church. Religious people like you and me, we tend to make this mistake all the time. We see people's addictions instead of their pain. We see their inappropriate dress instead of their need for someone to notice them. We see their sexual recklessness instead of their longing to be loved. We hear their foul language instead of their fear of not being hurt at all. We react to their sin instead of responding to their need. And I think here's the second lesson Jesus has for us in this story, and that is great forgiveness calls for us to respond with great mercy towards others. Mercy means that everyone's welcome. It means that we look beyond people's faults and see their need. Mercy means we, we focus on the masterpiece and not on the mud. Sooner or later, we have to deal with the mud. But let's face it, there's only one person who can really deal with the mud, right? And that one person who can wash away a person's sin, and that is Jesus Christ, only him. As surely as he forgave the woman of her pastoral sin, he is ready and able to forgive anyone and transform them into the person that they were meant to be. Now, chances are when we come to church, we're dressed more appropriately than this woman was in Luke chapter 7. We know how to behave, right? We know the proper words to say to each other and to God. But as surely as that woman brought her sinful life into that room with her, we bring ours into this room as well. Our woundedness, our desperation, our, our guilt and shame, our, our hurts and habits and hang-ups. We were all covered with mud the first time that we walked into a church, but Jesus looked beyond the faults and he saw our needs. He washed us clean and revealed the masterpiece hidden beneath our sin. And listen, if that's what Christ has shown to us, How can we show anything less to anyone else? Great forgiveness calls us for to respond with great mercy towards others. Let let me wrap this message up with a a silly story. Um, Just say that I drive over to um, Carrie Boyum uh, home, our, our children's ministry director's home, and I pull into her driveway, and, and Carrie comes out, and, and she says to me, Joel, that's my favorite dog you just ran over. 
<laughs> I said, oh, Carrie, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I just won the lottery, and, and I'm so excited. Carrie says, I, I don't care what you are. You, you, I don't care what you won. You just ran over my dog. I know, I know. I say, I can't bring your dog back to life. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me, Carrie? No, I can't forgive you. You can't bring my dog back to life. I can't forgive you. You're just a mean, cruel person. I said, Carrie, Carrie, I'm so sorry. I know I can't bring your dog back to life, but listen, you know, I just won the lottery. So listen, here's a check. I know I can't bring your dog back, but would $50,000 help you to forgive me, you think? And Carrie takes a check. She looks at it. She says, whoa, hey, brother, hallelujah. You're absolutely forgiven. God bless you. <laughs> Carrie says, well, I say, well, listen, Carrie, while we're on the subject, do you have trouble forgiving people? She says, no. Now that you mention it, yes, my, my neighbor called me a name the other day. Well, Carrie... Here's another check, $25,000. What do you think? Hey, he's forgiven. Yeah, he's completely forgiven. I say, hey, well, any, anything else? She says, yeah, well, my, my sister did something. Okay, well, here, here's $100,000. And uh, listen, here's another $500,000 just to make sure that there's no residue left anywhere. Will you forgive everybody from now on? Carrie says, <laughs> Hey, Joel, I am the most forgiving person in the world now. <laughs> I, I forgive everybody. <laughs> I, I, now, listen, I, I know it's a silly story. But friends, I got to tell you, Jesus didn't just pay $100,000 or $5 million or $10 million to give you the power to forgive. Jesus spilled his blood on the cross to forgive you and also to give you the power to forgive others. Great forgiveness. It provides the opportunity for great love and great mercy. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Your great forgiveness for us. What a gift that you can... You say to us, you're forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Lord, I pray for each one of us. I pray, God, that we might know your forgiveness, the depth of your forgiveness, what it cost you. Might this help us, God, to express our love to you more often and in a more profound way. And God might also give us the power to forgive those who have hurt us. Those, God, who we have struggled to forgive. God, we ask that you would, through your Holy Spirit, teach us more how to do that each day. In your son's precious name, amen.